Good morning again to City Lights. What a blessing and honor to be with you on today. I am excited about this opportunity to share the Word of God to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, to Pastor Brian and his leadership team, thank you all so very much for serving us, welcoming us here at City Lights. It's such a blessing to be here. To my brother in his absence, I'm quite sure he's watching, and Corey, a uh, very dear friend of mine, he's also my realtor at this time, helping us to find a home. So I am so grateful to have these gentlemen uh, part of my life as I walk it out in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to try to hold you very long this morning, but I do want to share the Word of God as God would permit me to. Uh, so I want you to take your copy of God's Word and come with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 9. We're going to focus our attention in time on verses 14 through 20. Nine. Jesus and Peter and John has been spending some time on Mount Transfiguration. Some scholars believe that the actual place of this event is Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. Opinions may vary there. While there's they are there, the disciples get a glimpse of the glory of Jesus is revealed to his inner circle, fulfilling the word that Jesus shares with them in Mark chapter 9, verse 1. It reads thusly, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. Let me put a pin there for just a moment and share with you quickly this. The kingdom of God is not so much a place, but it is a person. Get that? The kingdom of God is not so much a place, but it is a person because if you ask yourself, what is the kingdom of God, the answer would be this. The kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God that exists in a geographical location. Here's my point. By Jesus reigning and ruling in the believer's life, wherever we are, the kingdom of God exists. So I wish that I could linger there for just a little while longer, but my text isn't about the kingdom of God. It's about this situation of faith, this theophany that is being shown here. The glory of God is shown in Jesus. And while they are there, Moses and Elijah shows up and they're having this conversation with Jesus. According to Luke, 931, their conversation is about what Jesus Christ is about to encounter. He's been teaching his disciples that he was soon to die and the things that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Then all of a sudden, a cloud overshadows them and out of the midst of the cloud, a voice protrudes and says these words, 
which bear to heart with us. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter, being excited, desires to build three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. But Jesus declines that opportunity because he knows that the work is not on the mountaintop. The work is in the valley. This is bears truth. The work doesn't. It's good to be in the presence of the Lord, to spend time under the administration of the word and being administered the sacraments. But what is more importantly that we take what's given in the sanctuary from the presence of God that we take it out to the community. That's, that's important. So Jesus declines and they decide that they would go down and when they enter into the city, some believe that it was Capernaum and there they were, Jesus encounters an argument that's going on. And that's where our text is being introduced to us this morning. It is about faith. Notice now, and I want to give this to you very quickly, and I'm going to read the text. I'm trying to set the background for you so that we can all understand what's going on. Jesus is having his disciple back and forth with his disciples, and he's sharing with them. And the disciples bring up something that the scribes have said. He said, the scribes have said that, that Elijah will come and restore all things. But that is important, but it's not important as to this point, that that restoration does not take place without suffering and death. That's the point that Jesus wants us to see and to receive, that restoration does not occur unless there is suffering and death. Notice what he said, that they did whatever they wanted to with him, being John the Baptist, alluding to the treatment of John the Baptist, that he was beheaded by King Herod, the Tetriarch. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. That's why theologians and scholars have recognized John the Baptist to be the last prophet of the Old Testament and not Malachi. Mm-hmm. Scripture goes on in great detail connecting the idea of John the Baptist and his ministry to Elijah. Let me give you four points. Here it is that, number one, the place in which John the Baptist ministered was a wilderness. Elijah begins his ministry in a wilderness. He gives great details about what John the Baptist wore. He wore camel's hair, which is the garments of a prophet. Elijah also wore the garments of camel's hair. It tells us that John's dietary habits, that he ate locusts and honey, that was the same thing Elijah ate in the wilderness. Can you see it? 
the connection here of being John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. And one other point to give to you is that notice the abruptness of each of their ministry. Elijah, no text can give us a background all about Elijah. All it says that he was a Tishbite. And so therefore, John the Baptist all we hear is that he leapt in his mother's womb and then he begins his ministry in the wilderness preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. These four similarities connect John's ministry with Elijah's ministry. But Jesus wants us to see between verses 1 to 13 on Mark chapter 9 and verses 14 through 29, there's this idea of restoration does not occur without suffering and death. We see this theme being repeated in our text today. So let me read into your hearing now, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. Reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible, follow along with me in your favorite translation. It reads likewise. It says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. And the scribes were arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus, they, they were greatly amazed and ran to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? <laughs> and someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes them mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered, Jesus answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and the spirit saw him, and immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell down on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long... Has this been happening to him? And the father responded, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire, into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can <laughs> All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. 
And after crying out, convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose. And when they entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why is it that we could not cast it out? Jesus said to them, this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some texts include fasting. Thus concludes the reading of God's word. Let us go before the Lord that he would bless our time together. Gracious God, our Father, we've come before your presence now. And we ask that you would speak unto us through your word. I pray, the Lord God, that you would give me instructions as to how to speak to your people. May I speak with clarity, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Bless us. As your word has said, let he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying right now. We ask this in your son. In Jesus' name we do pray. And we said together, amen. Amen. This week I had the opportunity to attend a conference, a small conference, called The Gathering of Pastors at Bellhaven University in Jackson, Mississippi. It's an organization that focuses on supplying rural pastors out in the sticks, <laughs> out in the sticks, with tips and tools and resources which equips, equips and aids the pastor to do the work of the ministry in hard, poverty-stricken areas. One of my favorite speakers on the week was a pastor from New England. His name was Stephen Whitmer. He's a pastor, and he's an author, and he wrote a book entitled, A Big Gospel in Small Places. One of the messages that he preached during this time in our time together was called, We Do Something, But God Does Everything. Okay, he took his text from Psalms 127, and in that message, he gives this beautiful illustration about his children. He has three children, and he's married, and one day he decides to go for a walk with his wife and children. His eldest son is 13 years old, his middle child is five years old, and he had a baby daughter who was two years old. But before they could proceed on this walk, he decided that he would take the stroller so that his wife or neither him would have to carry the child the whole time while they were walking. So he went outside, out back to retrieve the stroller, but he noticed that the stroller had a flat tire. So he goes to the utility room, he pulls out an air pump, and he connects it to the tubing on the bike's tire, and it begins to pump air into the tire. But his middle child, who's five years old, ran up to him and said, Daddy, I want to do it. And so what was a father to do? 
said, sure, son, go ahead and do it. And the little boy took the handles of the air pump, and he was trying to compress his air into the tire. He couldn't do it. And so after about three more minutes or so, Stephen asked his son, he said, do you want daddy to help you? And the little boy replied to him, he said, no, daddy, let me do it myself. And he continues in it. He's struggling, trying to compress this area, but he couldn't do it. So after another three minutes, Stephen asked him again. He said, do you want daddy to help you? And the little boy said, no, daddy, I want to do it by myself. And I thought in that moment, how often have we tried to do things on our own? How often have we tried to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and say, I can handle this. I can do this by myself. I don't need anyone's help. I can handle it. I can do it. And we fail miserably. The truth of the matter is, and here's my thesis on today from this text, apart from God, we can do nothing. But with Christ, we can do what? All things through Christ that strengthens us. All things are possible with Christ. I'm going to demonstrate this from the text in three ways. Here are my sermonic points and also the verses that go along with them. If you're a note taker, here's your time right here. First of all, I want to show you without, without faith, without faithfulness is ineffective. Faith without faithfulness is ineffective. That's verses 14 through 19. Our second point would come from verses 20 and 24, and it renders to us this point. A faith without our participation is ineffective. Third point comes in verse 25 through 29, and that is faith without prayer is ineffective. You get that? Faith without faithfulness is ineffective. Faith without participation, our participation is ineffective. And faith without prayer is ineffective. First of all, let's look at our first point. Uh, faith without faithfulness is ineffective. Verses 14 through 19, it says, And when they came, the disciples... They saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes was arguing with them, and immediately all the crowd saw Jesus and were greatly amazed. Isn't it something that Jesus knows how to show up in our lives at just the right time? Mm. He shows up. They were amazed, and they greeted him, and he asked them, are you arguing with him about? And someone from the crowd, being the father, he says, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. 
And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked the disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Jesus, Peter, James, and John was just returning from the mountain of Mount Transfiguration. Jesus has shown himself in this brilliant white garment that the Bible says no fuller could dye it so white, which demonstrate the uniqueness of Jesus. They noticed the crowd was gathered around the other disciples whom Jesus had left because he only took with him his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And the scribes was arguing with them. And the text is evident that they were arguing with them about Jesus' disciples' inability to cast out the demon from the boy. They had failed miserably. Some scholars argue that it was because of the absence of Jesus, because Jesus wasn't there at the time that they had tried to cast out the demon out of the boy. That explains the reason why they failed. But I would concur that in Mark chapter 9, verses 1 to 13, the disciples had actually already been sent out, and they did demonstrate that they had the power to cast out demons out of people and to heal people. So why is it that they failed? They had already done it before. Why was it that they failed this time? Some would even contend that it was because the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out on them and because they had not been given the Holy Spirit, they could not operate in this power to perform such an act. But I would concur with that as well because consequently, get this, power in Mark 9.1 in the Greek is dudamus. This is the same word that is used in Acts chapter 1, <laughs> verse 8. It's also dudamus, and ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit have come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Let no one fail you that, uh, tell you that you have to speak in tongues in effort to have this power. That's not so. Let me show you why. Because the power to cast out devils and the power to be God's witnesses are the same thing that comes from the same person, the Holy Spirit. He gives this authority. And that means that both acts is done by the same Spirit. Let me help you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 through 11, it says, For one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, 
and to another the utterance of knowledge and according to the same spirit. Another faith by the same spirit. To another the gifts of healing by one spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another interpretations of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions each one individually as God's wills. Can't drink the water without the cap being off. It is not a matter of whether the disciples had the Holy Spirit. It's not that. The culprit that needs to be identified in the disciples' failure is the inconsistency of remaining in faith. How many of you can be honest, and you don't have to wave your hand, have, can honestly say to you, I've wavered in my faith at times. Sometime I believe God, I can trust God for all things, but yet there are those moments when it seems like I just don't have the faith that I need. Maybe it's those times when your baby was sick. Maybe it was the time that a dear relative of yours was in the hospital. Maybe it was that moment when you were struggling in your marriage and you began to question God. Did I choose the right person? Am I doing the right thing? And we begin to doubt and ask ourselves, do I have enough faith? Mm. This proves, this is proven by the response of Jesus and Mark. 9 verse 19 he says and he answered them oh faithless generations how long am I to be with you how long am I to bear with you to bring him to me this point Jesus at this point Jesus is rebuking everyone watch this he rebukes the people those who have yet to believe and trusted in him as the son of God. He rebukes the scribes, those who have hardened heart that refuses to receive Jesus as the son of God. But then he also, and some scholars may uh, dispute with me on this, but I contend that Jesus is also saying that the disciples are as well unfaithful, <laughs> unfaithful to operate in the things that he has given them authority to do. Watch this. Now, Christ is saying to the disciples that you've been faithless. Does that mean because I waver in my faith? Is Jesus by saying, you are faithless? Is he saying unto me, because I have not trusted you like I'm supposed to have trusted you? Uh, is he saying, you are unsaved? No, he's not. 
He's not saying that you're not saved because you wrestle in your faith. <laughs> but he does chastises them for vacillating in their faith. One minute, I trust God. The next minute, I don't trust God. And, he, and, and this is what he's rebuking in us. He's saying, have I not been with you so long? Have you not seen the things that I've done in your life so that you can come to the place that you fully trust me? Let me help us. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, he's writing to who? The Christian church. He says, if we are faithless, get this, and this is our shout. I know I'm not in a Baptist church, but this ought to make us all happy right here. He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God says, I have placed my ownership on you. You belong to me. And though you waver in your faith, you still belong to me. God desires that we as followers of Christ to remain faithful and consistent in our faith to him. When we find ourselves struggling in our faith, we can be assured that God is faithful. And his faithfulness is not predicated on my faithfulness. Thank God for Jesus. Give you an illustration of this. The children of Israel was in covenant with God. He told them that he was going to bless them, those that trusted in him, that obeyed his covenant, his covenant commands and things of that nature. The Shema, hear ye, O Israel, that the Lord God is one. If they would identify and acknowledge the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words of the Commandments, he says this, I will bless you. How many of you know? Time and time again, Israel wasn't faithful. They weren't faithful. But yet, God continued to love them. Yes, he chastised them. Yes, he permitted the Babylonians to come and take them in slavery and things of that nature. But, but ultimately, God still owned them as his people. I'm glad that God just don't disregard me when I'm unfaithful. He does not discount his relationship with me. It's not predicated because you're unfaithful. Guess what? I'm not going to be faithful to you either. I'm glad God is not like that. God is faithful, and it's not predicated on our faithfulness. Give you an illustration of that, Hosea. Everybody knows the story of Hosea, don't you? Went out and chose a harlot by the commandment of God as his own wife, and the woman was unfaithful. But yet, Hosea remained faithful to her to demonstrate God's faithfulness to his people. Watch this. The text says, 
Jesus says, bring him to me. Hebrews 4, uh, 4 verses 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a, a high priest who is, is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but uh, one who in every respect has been tempted uh, but is without sin. Let us do this. What he says, he says, let us then with confidence draw near to him. I, I would say oftentimes when I struggle in my faith, my objective is not to run to God. It's just the opposite, isn't it? We run from God. When we have faltered and failed, we run from God. Same, we get it naturally. It's born in us because Adam done the same thing. When God came to him in the cool of the day and he called out to Adam, Adam, where art thou? He hid himself. That's our natural tendency. That's our default. We run from God. But this text tells me rather than running from God, I need to run to God. I'm going to hurry on. I know I'm on a time frame. Not only in this text do we see that faith without faithfulness is ineffective, but we also see faith absent of our participation is also ineffective. Verses 20 and 24 says, they brought the boy to him. Notice the participation right there. They brought the boy to him. Jesus didn't go to them. They brought the boy to him. And here's what I want to share with you. We need to bring those things that seek to dominate, control our lives. We need to seek to bring them to Christ. What things are you wrestling with this morning that you have yet to bring to Christ Jesus? Maybe, maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe, maybe you're wrestling to be faithful to a wife or a wife to a husband. Maybe, maybe you're having anger issues and problems and you can't get a hold of this thing. It just seems like that thing is a demon. It possesses me. It calls me to do what I don't want to do. Now, if you are like that, you're in good company. You say, how so? One of the greatest apostles of the New Testament was Paul. And he said these words, those things that I seek to do, I do not. I don't do it. I want to do it, but something keeps overcoming me and causes me to do just the opposite of what the Lord says. I recognize in me there is no good thing. But notice how he concludes his, his statement to God. He says this to him, and this is what I want us and myself to learn to do. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God for him. 
not me, because it is he that intercedes on my behalf. It is he that sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for me. And when I endeavor to go and be sinful, he says to the Lord, let me dong on him. Let me fertilize him a little bit more or she a little bit more so they can continue to grow. Thank God for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for interceding on our behalf. Jesus asked the father, how long have this, this boy been in this condition? And he says, since childhood. Maybe you've been wrestling with some stuff since childhood. This text is crying out to you and I to say, I can take it to Jesus now. I can give it to the Lord. Jesus says to him, he continues, if it often, the father continues to speak with Jesus, he says, it often uh, has uh, cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Here it is. Those sins that we allowed to dominate and control our life, the ultimate intention of those things is to destroy us. Jesus says to him, if you can, the father said, listen, listen, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Help us. Can I tell you something? Here it is right here, that those sins that we struggle with individually affect those that loves us. The sins that we perform causes those that love us to go through. The father identified with the suffering of the child. He said, help us have compassion on us. He didn't say, have compassion on my son, help my son. He said, us, which means there's a very close connectedness to those that love us, suffer when we continue in sin that displeases God. Watch the progression. Immediately after hearing the words of Jesus, watch, watch what he says. The father cried out and said, I believe. But help my unbelief. requires our participation. See, God, God can do everything and anything without you and I, but we can do nothing apart from him. We can do nothing apart from him. Notice now, have you noticed in this text that everyone is operating in unbelief? You have the scribes operating in unbelief. You have the father operating in unbelief. You have the disciples operating in unbelief. You have the people operating in unbelief. But watch this. Everyone is operating in unbelief except for the demon. Did you see that? Notice. But when the demon sees Jesus or acknowledges Jesus' presence, what happens? He responds by convulsing the boy. 
Allow me to state this very quickly uh, as is this right here. Some take the condition that the child, this condition of the child is an epileptic seizure. And because we have received that in our mentality that this thing is actually a diagnosis of an epileptic seizure, guess what? We begin to think, unbeknownst to us, everyone that suffers from seizures of epilepsy, guess what? They are demonically possessed, and that's a lie from the pits of hell. Just because a person has a seizure does not mean that they are demonically possessed possess. I believe this. The Bible means what it says and says what it means. If it was a medical condition, God is big enough to have said that, but he declares and says, this boy had a demonic possession. (laughs) Often, when you read throughout the book of Mark, you will identify very quickly that demons believed in Jesus. Now, this is not saving faith, of course, but they believed in the power and authority of Jesus. Let me show you some. We see this in the wilderness temptation. If Satan did not think that Jesus had the power to deliver his people, he would not have been there to tempt him. We see this also when Jesus begins his ministry. He goes into Capernaum, and he goes into a a synagogue, and immediately a man that was possessed with an unclean spirit, uh, it cried out and said, you are the Holy One of God. That's Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 13, then Mark chapter 1, verse 23, and we also see it when Jesus goes to a Gentile country, the Gerasians, and a man that was possessed with a demon, and he lived amongst the tombs, and they could not bind him. When Jesus arrived on the coast, immediately the demon cried out, have you come here to torment me before time? (laughs) Why is it that demons have more faith than the believer. I would contend, I would contend this right here, that demons actually recognize the power and authority of Jesus while we struggle to believe in the power and authority of Jesus. We struggle, but demons believe. Don't believe me, the text shares with us that even in James, he says, demons believe and tremble. Watch this. What what things have tormented your life, perhaps, from childhood that you've been carrying and you need to give over to Jesus right now? It has caused you to lose your peace and joy. It has caused you great pain and anxiety. It has caused relationships to be broken. What things have we carried since childhood that the Lord is saying, give it over to me. Bring it to me. 
Watch this. The father identifies with the suffering of his child. And I would say this, that our inability to be set free is because we don't recognize the power and authority of Jesus. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to them that believe. This is, this is not you just blabbing and grab it, name it and claim it, call it and haul it. No, 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 no. no. Whatever we pray unto the Father must be in the will of the Father. Haven't we, haven't we messed up our prayers so often like that? Haven't we done that? We say, God said it. If you can believe it, you can receive it. <laughs> Uh-oh. I'm, I hope I'm not messing with someone's theology here. But we got to act according to the Father's will. And then he would give it to us. The Father, not only here, watch this. The Father responds and says, I believe, but help my unbelief. The Father not only acknowledges where he is in his life, but then he goes a step further by admitting he gives an admission. How many times have we acknowledged our sins, but we don't admit it? We don't admit it. We don't confess it. We acknowledge it. We say, yes, it's there. But we never really say to ourselves and confess out loud, I got a problem. I can't help myself. And this is where we need the Lord's help. It is only he that can strengthen our faith. And when we acknowledge and we can admit where we are in life, it is at that, part, at that point in life the Father can come alongside of us. Again, it goes back to Stephen Whitmer's uh, message. He says this, We do some things... But God do everything. Our, what we do is never on equal planes with God. God always do more than what we can do. Always. Always. Here's my last point. They bring the boy to the Jesus Jesus sees the crowd, they're running to him, and he immediately said, come out of him, you deaf and mute spirit. The boy is delivered, but then he's stiff. Some believe that he was dead, connecting again the idea. Restoration does not come without suffering and death. What did Jesus Christ have to endure? that we may be restored back to the Father, he endured suffering, being whipped, being beat, lashed with 40 lashes on his back, 
pierced in his side, crown of thorns pressed upon his brow, being spat on, beard plucked out. He endured suffering, but he went one step further. He died for you and I. Here's my last point, and I'm going to leave you alone. Not only do we see in the text that faithfulness, faith without faithfulness is ineffective, we see faith without our participation, we got to bring it to God, we got to admit it to God is ineffective. But the last point is faith without prayer is ineffective. Why does Jesus mention this? He's always teaching his disciples privately. They went into the house, the disciples inquired, gave in the courts. Why was it that we could not do this thing? He says, these things come out by fasting or prayer, and other translations introduce fasting as well. You know what prayer is? Prayer is a dependency upon God, not ourselves, but God. It's a total reliance, a giving over to God. And let me, let, me, let me dispel this misnomer, and I'm going to close right here. We hear cliches like this, let go and let God. How many of you ever heard that? How many, how many of you ever heard that? Let go and let God. You know what? In my idea, that conveys the concept of I just give it to God and I do nothing. It requires our participation. And so the question is, what is my role in this? I must trust and believe that he is able. Not me, but he is able. The Bible says, I can do all things through who? Christ that does what? Strengthens me. If the Lord does not provide the strength, we are incapable of doing it. That's the resolve that every believer must have this morning. I resolve to have a total dependency on God that I cannot do anything in and of myself, but with God I can do all things. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we come. We bless you.